With no fees or minimums, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than deciding to listen to another episode of your favorite podcast. And with no overdraft fees, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank. Capital One N.A. Member FDIC. Hey, everybody. I want to talk to you about Squarespace Courses. It has the tools you need to create and sell your own online course. Start with a professional layout that fits your brand, upload video lessons to teach techniques and skills, and tailor your course with a powerful Fluid Engine editor. You can create engaging content your audience is going to love, then simply add a paywall and set the price. Turn your creativity into income with Squarespace Courses. So just go to squarespace.com slash stuff for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use our offer code STUFF to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark, and there's Charles W. Chuck Bryan over there, and this is Stuff You Should Know, the delicious dish. The delicious dish. If you hear my dogs barking, I'm sorry, they will not shut up. I really don't hear them. Well, I can't see them either. I know. I can hear them always. They're very barky. (laughs) That's the Sheltie in them. Yeah, we we house that our friend's dog, uh, you know, Scotty. Scotty's dog, Benny, came over for two weeks. Mm -hmm. Aren't they like best friends? Uh, You know, Benny, they kind of just coexist. Oh, really? Okay. We kind of joke that he didn't know how to be a dog. Benny learned how to be a dog while he was here. Oh, yeah. A little bit, being around our guys for two weeks. Uh, but Scotty got married, by the way. So congratulations, oh Scotty and Lily. Oh, my gosh. Congratulations, Scotty. I got to send yeah. him, like, an ice cream maker or something. And I got to uh, officiate my first wedding, which was fun. What is going on? Yeah. It was a lot, I really, really enjoyed it. Quite an honor. That, so that explains why you went through catechism. That's right. I, I finally but, uh, get it now. Yeah. So they got married, went on their honeymoon for two weeks. We had Benny. But I don't know why I started with that. Oh, Benny doesn't bark because Benny does know how to be a dog. But he learned how to bark while he was here. Man, that's not something you want your dog to learn. Because I have the barkingest dogs of all time. <laughs> he said, oh, that's that's that. Okay, I've heard of that before. <laughs> that's fascinating. Let me try. But it has nothing to do with cookies. No, but everything henceforth in this episode will have to do with cookies. Yeah, and I'm baking cookies tonight, by the way. Thank you. I, yes, uh, restarting researching this, I was like, I'm baking cookies too. And I want to give a huge shout out to uh, Sally's Baking Addiction, whose brown butter chocolate chip cookie recipe is hands down the finest example of a chocolate chip cookie I've ever encountered in my life. Oh, yeah? Yes. I mean, like, days later, still chewy. Mm. amazing stuff and it's worth the little extra effort in making brown butter just totally worth it I can't overstate how good that recipe is so you're not one of those weirdos that likes a good crisp chocolate chip cookie it's a little bit crispy on the edges a little Uh bit chewy in the middle it's it's a balance of everything but I I can go either way it's pretty it's gotta be like a pretty lousy chocolate chip cookie for me to not want it you know yeah I'll take a crispy one but boy that the fresh out of the oven kind that mm-hmm. like folds down like a hot slice of New York pizza. Yes, dude. I actually went and purchased actual cow's milk to drink mm-hmm. with the, to, while I ate these cookies. They were it was that special. Whole milk. Yeah. yeah. 
Okay. Yeah, there were like chunks of fat just f- knocking around <laughs> at the top of the, the milk bottle. Uh, there's a, we're going to talk a lot about the cookies we like and don't like in here and what makes certain cookies great, of course. But mm-hmm. uh, I guess we should just go a little uh, bit with the history and the, the fact that a cookie is, you know, it's sort of like a cake, but the ratio of ingredients is different in that with a cake, you end up with uh, what's called batter. Mm-hmm. And with cookie, you end up with what's called dough because of the ratio of your ingredients. Yeah, and also sometimes the ingredients themselves can differ. But if there's any other baked good that a cookie resembles most closely, it's probably a cake. In fact, I think the Cambridge and Collins dictionaries both define cookies as sweet, usually round, flat cakes, which it seems sensible. But when you really dig into it, it, you're like, this actually doesn't fully hold up. Yeah, a cookie's a cookie. Yeah, because a cake, if you want to get you know, jiggy with it. A cookie um, is is its own thing. You hold a cookie, with you eat it with your hand. It's a self-contained mm-hmm. thing. A cookie is just one cookie. And you can eat multiple cookies, but a cake is like a, one big unit that you cut into subunits called slices mm-hmm. and you usually eat it with a fork. So a cookie is not a cake and, and don't call it that ever again. Right. Unless it's a cupcake, also not even close to a cookie. That's right. But you, uh, you do eat that with your hand, which kind of under, sure. undermines that whole idea that a cookie is just a dessert you eat with your hand. It's a hand cake. I guess so, but isn't that really a cupcake, not a cookie? Well, no, that's what I'm saying. A cupcake is a hand cake. Oh, okay, gotcha. Well, then we're on the same page finally. Uh, it's also not a bread, even though you might hear gingerbread or shortbread. Mm-hmm. Uh, bread, as we know. And, you know, cookies kind of come from all of this tradition of of bread baking and biscuit making and stuff like that in a way. Mm-hmm. But uh, gingerbreads and shortbreads, they don't have leavening agents like bread does. Uh, they're not going to rise like a bread is supposed to rise. Mm-hmm. And uh, flour, bread flour, has got usually more gluten yeah. uh, going on in it. Yeah, I mean, like if you look at um, cookie dough and then you look at bread dough, it's it's like two totally different things. Yeah, two different things. So not really a bread, not really a cake, so you might say a pastry. It's a pastry. No, wrong again, because pastries at their base usually have some sort of flour, uh, some sort of fat, and then water. And it's I didn't see water. Yeah. I looked up a bunch of pastry recipes, croissants and danishes. Water. And I didn't see water in any of them. Put water in all of them. None of them had water it's in the Im- recipe. It's implied <laughs> in the recipe. Just work with me. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> it's so universally known that you put water in, in, in pastries that you they don't even include it in the recipe. The one recipe I did say that I saw that had water was a bear claw. Really? Yeah, like a bear claw. A croissant doesn't have water in it. Not the recipes I saw. That's really interesting. So a lot of people do say cookies are a type of pastry. I've seen elsewhere that that's not the case. No, it's a cookie. So I came up with the definition of cookies, if I may share it myself, Chuck. Sure. A cookie is, quote, and I'm quoting myself here, so I don't know if it's right to actually say, quote, mm-hmm. a usually small, often round, usually flat, handheld dessert consisting of at least flour, a fat like oil or butter, and sugar. And that, friends, is probably the greatest <laughs> definition of cookie anyone's ever put to paper. The only issue I would take is usually round because I've seen a lot of shaped cookies. But but that's why I said usually. Uh, okay. <laughs> what would you say? Sometimes round? Frequently round? I might bump that up to often. I said often round. I thought you said usually. No, usually small, <laughs> often round, usually flat. Okay. All right. Sure. Oh boy. I like it. 
Okay, great. So we've got the definition of cookies, and I appreciate you indulging me because I really did kind of wade through a lot of the internet (laughs) to put that together. But there was something in there that's really important too, which is sugar. And you think, well, yeah, of Mm -hmm. course sugar. Cookies are sweet. Well, there's other things you can sweeten cookies with besides sugar. Like you got molasses cookies, you got honey cookies. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a lot of different cookies you can can make. But if you dig into those recipes, you're going to find they still use sugar. And sugar is an extremely important um, ingredient, as we'll see. A lot of people say basically cookies didn't exist until sugar came along. Yeah. Uh, depending on where you are in the world, they're going to call them different things. Uh, if you watch Ted Lasso, you're going to know they call them biscuits in England mm-hmm. uh, and also Australia. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Spain, they're gelatas. Yeah. Uh, the Germans call them keks. Uh, I don't know what that Christmas cookie, I don't even know how to pronounce that. Well, you took German. You don't know? I was going to ask you. I don't know, man. That's five Coach consonants to, to start the uh, word. Please, Chin. <laughs> P-L-Z-C-H-E-N. I would say it's probably like Pletschin or something. Okay. But like uh, again, no vowels in the beginning of that, in most of that word. Yes. What about Italy? Oh, you're talking about the biscotti? Very nice. Yeah, <laughs> which you can find wrapped in a little jar at your local um, coffee place. Yeah, I'm not a fan of biscotti. It really depends, but no, for the most most part, I'm not. Which it's a good thing we're not alive in like the uh, the the 14th or 15th century because we wouldn't have had many options. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I get it. That almondy taste is fine, but if I'm going to uh, burn calories on a cookie, it ain't. It's not going to be a biscotti. I gotcha. You know what I mean? So the word cookie itself, Chuck, comes from the Dutch, mm-hmm. who have the word koekje. Uh, K-O-E-K-J-E right. means small or little cake, once again. Right. So that's the, there's a lot of different words for cookies. That's the point. But cookies are their own thing. Um, and over thousands of years, people have said, these are great. I like this. I'm going to contribute to humanity's understanding of, of baking by creating this cookie and that cookie. And now, finally, we're living in... What I consider the pinnacle of the age of cookies, because I can't imagine we're going to come up with better cookies that aren't just variations of what we have now. I feel like we've invented all of the great cookies, and that really, if you dig into it, most of the greatest ones, the apex, the pinnacle of them, were created here in the good old U.S. of A. Agreed, uh, but not the first cookies, because no. we're a young country. Yeah. And uh, most people say that cookies have been around since Persia, uh, around 7th century CE. Uh, They had sugar for a while, and they had been making cakes and things like that. Uh, You had to be, you know, pretty wealthy, and that's a sort of a repeated thing you'll see in here. As far as the early days of sugar being available, Mm -hmm. uh, you had to have pretty much a lot of money and be part of royalty or at least super wealthy to eat these sweet confections. But at some point, there was a, a Persian baker who said, all right, I got to test out, uh, I'm making a cake. I want to see if this oven's ready. We don't have thermometers or anything like that. So let me just throw a little bit of this, uh, I guess, dough in there mm-hmm. and see what happens. And it came out, this little little baby cake, and tasted awesome. And so uh, whatever accents the Persians might have used said, this is fantastic. Let me keep doing this. I've discovered a new thing. Yeah, they said, like, why don't I just make a batch of test cakes only? And that cookie was born. That's the story. It's not It's not entirely clear if that's true. Um, it's 
spread like all over the internet and not just in like the copy paste way like it does yeah. seem to be that food historians tend to think like that's that's possibly what happened but even if that is true it ignores a lot of the the pr- the previous evolution that led to to cookies um that came before the persians yeah and you know we kind of mentioned this early you know it comes from the tradition of baking bread mm-hmm. of course something that We've been doing for fourteen thousand years. Yeah, uh, but those those have those leavening agents. Uh, the Mediterraneans used uh, honey, and they made these honey uh, pastries for a long, long time. The Russians made these cookies called yeah. uh, Prynix, something like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Have and you that ever had with, one? No, have you? I don't. I I don't know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> They're made from honey, rye flour, and berries, mm-hmm. and those go back to 4th century BCE. Yeah. Uh, and then we have our good old biscuits. Yeah, which are, they seem to kind of have evolved from the Romans who created something called rusk, which is, <clears throat> you know what you don't like about biscotti? Yeah. Take away anything <laughs> even remotely likable about biscotti and you've got rusk. Where yeah, it's it was like hardtack, like right? It was a, yeah, hardtack, what, what like the Navy's... Um, adopted and, and uses hard tech. And the reason that I think it was initially created was because the Roman soldiers who were going further and further afield, conquering all these different lands, they were supplied with this this rusk as rations um, because it, what they would do is they would bake bread and then they would cut the bread into pieces and they would bake it again, which would remove almost all of the water content, all the <laughs> moisture content from it. And you'd still have the nutrients, but none of the moisture, which means that it would um, it would stay for or keep for a very long time. Like it wouldn't it wouldn't mold because it didn't have any water to create mold. Yeah. I mean, when you hear that story, you're like, why would they purposely just keep baking it and making it taste worse and worse? <laughs> right. But it was just a necessity for for rations. It was like sense. preserving it, yeah, yeah. And there's a there's a the name for that baking process, right? That's right. Biscotto uh-huh. from Italian means twice baked. Yep, and that's where you get biscotti. Yeah, not only is that where you get biscotti, Chuck. That's also where you get biscuits. What the UK um, and Australia and New Zealand and a few other places refer to their cookies as biscuits. That's a derivation of biscotto. That's right. Pretty neat. This is making me nothing but hungry. That's okay, because there's plenty of cookies in your future. I can see it now. And I also see, Chuck, in our future, an ad break happening mm, this that's minute. That's very nice. I saw that coming. Listen to this. It's a game changer. Amazon is now in healthcare. Yes, Amazon. It's called Amazon One Medical. They offer same-day appointments, and if that's not convenient enough for you, they also have 24-7 virtual care. Yeah, you know, imagine you're feeling so sick that even the thought of getting out of bed is just too much for you. With Amazon One Medical, you don't have to leave the house. Of course, what good is that if you then have to drag yourself to the pharmacy, but you don't have to do that either because of Amazon Pharmacy. It makes a lot of sense. Delivering things fast is what Amazon is known for, and that's exactly what they do here. They'll deliver your prescriptions directly to your door. No waiting in pharmacy lines with people who probably all have something worse than whatever you're there for. Again, this is a game changer. Thanks to Amazon Pharmacy and Amazon One Medical, healthcare just got less painful. 
Today's episode is brought to you by Altoids because, let's face it, unraveling the mysteries of the universe is tough work. But with Altoids, your breath will be stronger than a black hole's gravitational pull, more intense than an alien abduction, and more reliable than your phone's battery during a podcast marathon. When it comes to needing intense freshness, Altoids have you covered. Altoids are stronger than your favorite conspiracy theory, more intense than the latest true crime docuseries, and more reliable than a Bigfoot sighting. They're not just mints, they're curiously strong mints. Find Altoids in the checkout aisle. Grab your tin today. Learning stuff with Joshua and Charles. Stuff you should know. Okay, so uh, as we said, most food historians who think about these kind of things say, yeah, it was Persia. Persia is the place where um, where cookies were kind of invented. And the reason you can't really argue with that is because if you are of European ancestry or live in a country that was founded through European colonization, there's a pretty good chance that all of the cookies that you've ever been exposed to came after the introduction of sugar and cookies and spices um, by the Persians to the Europeans through the Crusades. That's right. Uh, The Crusades happen and Anytime there's a conquering nation, one thing is for sure going to happen, and they are going to spread. They're going to find all the delicious, wonderful things that that culture does, mm-hmm. and they're going to steal them and take them back to their homelands. Mm-hmm. And that's how things spread throughout the world, and that's what happened with cookies. Yeah, and sugar. That's right. So it started in these Arab countries, and they said, let's bring back the ginger and cinnamon and cardamom and the sugar and all this delicious stuff. And let's start making our own cookies. Yeah, and then one of the reasons why all of this stuff was in Persia at the time, Chuck, is not just because the Persians had already started cultivating sugar. They had easy access to it. But they had access to things like ginger, too, like you said, um, which came from uh, Asia, um, or East Asia, I should say. Um, and the the reason that they had access to this is because they were pretty well located along the Silk Road. Mm-hmm. But Europe and especially Western Europe, was located very far off of the Silk Road. So even though this stuff was pretty commonly traded further uh, east, you could not get it in Europe unless you were one of the most fabulously wealthy people on the planet at the time. Yeah, and, you know, as time crept on a little bit, there was a little more access to things like sugar, but it was still kind of like a special occasion thing. You didn't necessarily have to be super wealthy, but it wasn't like all of a sudden the working class of Europe was all of a sudden just baking cookies all the time. Right. Um, but that did give birth to a, a tradition, which is if it's a special occasion thing, like, oh, I don't know, Christmas time, mm-hmm. then that became a tradition is making cookies and handing out cookies to neighbors because you're not going to bake a bunch of cakes and deliver 35 cakes to your neighbors because <laughs> no. uh, that's a waste. But what you could do. Uh, like our old friend Mona Collantine used to do with yeah. us. Man, that was but so she great. stopped. Yeah. I don't think she listens anymore anyway. She'll never hear this, but it was really nice. This. Like, I mean, maybe 10 <laughs> or 12 different year. varieties every year. Big box of them. It was great. It was great. But that's where that tradition comes from. Around Christmas time, mm-hmm. on special occasions, baking batches of cookies and sharing them with friends and neighbors. Yeah, because they were splurging to show off for baby Jesus. Sure. That's what you do. So, um, one of the things I came across, though, was that a family in medieval Europe or middle-age Europe um, baking cookies around the holidays 
were probably breaking the law because yeah. the trade guilds were really powerful at the time. And among those trade guilds were the bakers' guilds who had managed to get laws enacted that said you can't even bake for yourself in your own home. You have to buy your baked goods from a baker who's a member of a trade guild, a trained baker. Um, and apparently everybody said nuts to that. We're not, we're not going to listen to that. And over the course of a century or two, those the, that kind of enforcement went away because who doesn't want to bake in their own home, you know? Yeah, I mean, I'm a union guy, but I draw the line at some point, you know? Yeah, baking <laughs> in your own home is that line. Yeah, and it literally became the will of the people, and they were just like, no, 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 we're, we're not doing this anymore. We got to bake at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were, you know, some of the first recipes and some of the first cookbooks in North America were cookie recipes, yeah, and not just that. Like, even earlier than that, there was um, cookbooks that came out in, like, the 16th century, the early 17th century, and they started having cookie recipes in them and cake recipes in them. Uh, and the reason why, one of the reasons why was because the um, European powers had started to colonize places where you could grow sugar. Because people had gotten a little taste of sugar and the demand was so great that they went out and actually conquered new areas so that they could grow sugar, which lowered the prices of sugar, which meant that the average household was way more likely to be able to afford it in, say, like the 16th or 17th or probably 18th century. Um, and that, as a result, led to these cookbooks coming up. Like, like there's one called The Good Huswife's Jewel, Chuck. Did you say housewife? No, huswife's. <laughs> what is that? Just, a, I guess, a variation of a... I, I guess an old, old-timey old English way to put it. H-U-S wife. But if you look at... There's a recipe for fine cakes in there. And if you look at it, you're like, how did anybody produce anything like this? Like, we, we expect I- extremely precise recipes these days when you open a cookbook. But, well, for baking especially. Yeah, because, I mean, it's a science experiment. It's a chemical reaction you're doing with baking. Oh, cooking is a little more like an art, right? So, with the Good Huswife's Jewel, with the recipe for fine cakes, you could find um, ingredients like take two or three yolks of eggs and a good quantity of sugar. Yeah. And I think each one was was signed like, good luck. Yeah, figure it out. Yeah. But, but apparently people got it right enough of the time that these things really started to take off and people were, would bake cookies more and more. Yeah, we mentioned uh, shortbreads earlier. That came from Scotland. Mm-hmm. And the name shortbread might sound a little weird, but it was um, it, it was sort of a hybrid. It was it basically means crumbly cookie. Um, yeast was swapped out for butter, and sugar was added in uh, when they had this leftover bread and these hard biscuits, and it became shortbread. And they used short meant crumbly, so that's where the crumbly comes from. Mm-hmm. And the uh, the there was a tax on biscuits. And then the Scottish Heritage site says that they called it bread to get around the tax on biscuits. So <laughs> yeah. that's why it was, that's the only reason it was called shortbread. They're like, that's it basically like should have been called crumbly cookie. Exactly, yeah. Somebody, some tax collector's like, that's a cookie. They said, no, it's a, it's a bread. It's a shortbread. Be quiet. Yeah, I, that, that got me looking into the etymology of how the cookie crumbles. Mm, oh, yeah. And it, it's it, it was one of those uh, sort of disappointing ones where uh. they just said like, uh, mid, like, 1940s, 1950s America. Okay. Not Scotland in the 18th century? Yeah, it, it couldn't be traced back to, uh, like, a specific person. It basically, they some people said it might have come from, like, C'est la vie in France. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I just I just love that line in uh, The Apartment. 
Billy Wilder's The Apartment. Mm -hmm. uh, he says it a couple of times. He says, uh, that's how it crumbles cookie-wise. <laughs> Instead of that's how the cookie crumbles. Who said that? Was it Jack Lemon? Jack Lemon said that, yeah. Well, that's just idea. a nice little turn of phrase by Billy Wilder. Good stuff. Man, I ended up watching Casablanca the other night. It just Still happened to be on, it. and I caught it toward the beginning. Uh -huh. It really is maybe the greatest movie ever made. It is amazingly good. I Like, I liked yeah. it during my James Dean, like, Humphrey Bogart teenage phase. <laughs> but as an adult watching it, I haven't seen it in many, many years. I, I, it's just, it's astounding how good it is. The acting, the I've writing, the directing, it. the lighting. It's crazy. What? I need to do it. Chuck, you you will like it. It is such a good movie. I can't imagine I anybody's ever seen Casablanca and been like, that sucked. Probably so. Have you seen The Apartment? No, I never have. All right. Well, I'll trade you. You got to see that. Okay. <laughs> that was uh, on Movie Crush. That was our good friend, uh, Scott Aukerman. That was his movie pick. The Apartment or Casablanca? The Apartment. And Scott is such a pro and such a sweetheart. He rewatched the movie and... Uh, like reread like multiple chapters of Billy Wilder's book in preparation for that episode. That's what a, like what a pro he is. And designed an original movie poster for it. <laughs> yeah, that he signed for me. That's nice. That stuff. sounds like Scott Ackerman. Yeah. So uh, uh, all right, shortbread is where we were. Yeah, crumbling well, cookies. Well, we were talking. I think what, the point we were trying to get across is that like the Europeans had like a, a bonanza, a golden age of cookie development after sugar became widely available. Say yeah. starting in the 1500s, 1600s, 1700s. And so you've got shortbread created in Scotland. Macaroon was created way earlier in Italy, but it spread its way to France and then uh, England got its hands Not on it. The macaron. Right, the macaroon. Different. Um, the the coconutty kind that's crispy on the outside and very chewy on the inside, and it's kind of like a ball almost. Yeah, not a fan. Oh, I like them. I like them. I like um, a macaron. I like a macaron, too. I I don't really discriminate. Like, it has to be, again, it's got to be a pretty <laughs> bad cookie. Usually, it's got to be a mass-produced, industrialized cookie. If somebody oh, cooked sure. it at home, I'm probably going to like it. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm with you. And then gingerbread cookies, too, Chuck. Um, mm, they made their them. first appearance in the 15th century. Yeah, so we mentioned Greece coming over from uh, China. But the the cookie itself, I believe, started in Greece at about 2400 BCE. Mm -hmm. And uh, in medieval England, uh, medieval England preserved ginger um, was what gingerbread was called. Mm -hmm. But that's not like the dessert that we're talking about. The dessert is, you know, is that delicious sort of molasses, gingery cookie mm -hmm. that eventually they started making into people shapes because of Queen Elizabeth I. When dignitaries would uh, visit, they would she would she would have cookies shaped like them. I think that was uh, in, different Elizabeth. in tribute, <laughs> and that's how they they came to be made. I think that was Terry shapes. Gilliam. You just did actually. <laughs> I think, didn't we, on a Christmas episode, do something on gingerbread houses or gingerbread men? Uh, yeah, I think we did. It may, it may have been our live one that we did in 2018. Oh. I'll have to look. Remember, we've got the handy list of everything we've ever done on Christmas That's right. episodes. That's so very we don't nice repeat you to keep ourselves. up with that. Yeah. So uh, you want to take a break and then talk about cookies coming to their rightful place where they will truly enter their true golden age, America? <laughs> USA, yes. That's right. We should insert like a, a bald eagle scream here. <laughs> oh, man, we should. We'll be right back. Stuff. 
Listen to this. It's a game changer. Amazon is now in healthcare. Yes, Amazon. It's called Amazon One Medical. They offer same-day appointments. And if that's not convenient enough for you, they also have 24-7 virtual care. Yeah, you know, imagine you're feeling so sick that even the thought of getting out of bed is just too much for you. With Amazon One Medical, you don't have to leave the house. Of course, what good is that if you then have to drag yourself to the pharmacy? But you don't have to do that either because of Amazon Pharmacy. It makes a lot of sense. Delivering things fast is what Amazon is known for, and that's exactly what they do here. They'll deliver your prescriptions directly to your door. No waiting in pharmacy lines with people who probably all have something worse than whatever you're there for. Again, this is a game changer. Thanks to Amazon Pharmacy and Amazon One Medical, healthcare just got less painful. Today's episode is brought to you by Altoids because, let's face it, unraveling the mysteries of the universe is tough work. But with Altoids, your breath will be stronger than a black hole's gravitational pull, more intense than an alien abduction, and more reliable than your phone's battery during a podcast marathon. When it comes to needing intense freshness, Altoids have you covered. Altoids are stronger than your favorite conspiracy theory, more intense than the latest true crime docuseries, and more reliable than a Bigfoot sighting. They're not just mints, they're curiously strong mints. Find Altoids in the checkout aisle. Grab your tin today. Hey, everybody. Josh and Chuck are here to tell you about a new podcast, Car and Drivers Into Cars, a production of Car and Driver and iHeartMedia's Ruby Studio. That's right. It's hosted by Eddie Alterman and Tony Quiroga. Into Cars is the ultimate podcast for car lovers. Whether you're in the market for a new set of wheels or just love the sound of a V8, Car and Driver's panel of editors and car experts test drive and review today's most compelling new rides. And the best part, Eddie and Tony have no filter. They review cars with the same blend of intelligence, independence, and irreverence that has made Car and Driver a trusted source for news and reviews since 1955. Car and Driver's Into Cars is brought to you by eBay Motors. All the parts you need at the prices you want guaranteed to fit your ride every time visit ebaymotors.com for more eligible items only exclusions apply so jump in buckle up and listen to car and drivers into cars available wherever you get podcasts Hey, everybody, it's time to talk about Squarespace. Squarespace has absolutely everything you could possibly need to build whatever website you're trying to. You can host video content and organize your entire video library, plus showcase it on beautiful video pages. You can use analytics to grow your business and learn where your site visits and sales are coming from. What else, Chuck? Well, buddy, if you got merch, then you can sell it on Squarespace. You can easily sell custom merch and create a passive income stream that engages your audience and scales your brand. Design your products and production inventory and shipping are all handled for you, saving you time and money. Yeah, and if your business is appointment-based, you can accept appointments on your Squarespace website. You can offer online or in-person private sessions, workshops, and group classes. And Squarespace provides everything you need to manage your schedule, accept secure payments, and send automatic reminders, all in a beautifully showcased site. So just go to squarespace.com slash stuff and you're going to get a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use our offer code stuff to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Stuff 
So one of the reasons, all the people, Chuck, who are like, stop talking about how great America and its cookies Mm -hmm. are. One of the reasons why our cookies are so great is because America has always been a melting pot of immigrants coming from all these different places. And one of the things that all these immigrants brought with them were their cookies and their cookie ideas, their cookie traditions. And all that stuff got blended together and inspired people to come up with new stuff, too. And now we have even better cookies, but they improved upon the traditions of the immigrants who came here in the first place. That's right. And depending on where you go in the United States today, you're going to see traces of those original immigrant populations and the cookies that they brought mm-hmm. by probably how popular the cookies in that region still are today. Uh, if you go to the Midwest, maybe, uh, I don't know, Michigan, Ohio, mm-hmm. you might eat a, a pizzle. I think right? it's Pizzell. Pizzell? I think so, yeah. <laughs> That's what I remember people calling it in Toledo. Okay, they're probably like, oh my God, Chuck, it's you like, screwed that one up. It's like a pizza is a round, flat thing. A pizzelle is like a little round, flat thing, basically. All right. But it's so not it's a like pizzelle? a pizza. Have you ever had one? Yeah, I think so. It's like a little it's like a little waffle, but not a stroop waffle. Yes, no, it's like a waffle. It's a little thicker than a stroop waffle um, part. Um, it's almost like a crispier... Um, doughier funnel cake that's much thinner and flatter. And it's often flavored with anise, and it can be really good, but it can also be really dry and not good. Yeah, but it's made in a little, like, waffly iron mold. Yes, I think it's one of those things where you really want to eat a pizzelle, like, fresh out of the, the iron. Would I call it a pizzel? Pizzel. <laughs> yeah, that's not right. I knew that wasn't right. Uh, it's a pizzel cookie. <laughs> Uh, I believe that the Scottish shortbreads eventually became tea cakes here in the South, mm-hmm. uh, which can be a thing, evidently. I haven't had a lot of tea cakes, but I think it's like part of the old sort of Southern tradition. Yeah. And like you said, too, Chuck, I mean, like Americans were cool with cookies from the from the earliest stages of the country. The first ever cookbook that was written by an American printed in America was printed in 1796. It's called American Cookery by Amelia Simmons, and she had a bunch of different cookie recipes in there. She did. Uh, she had a few gingerbread cookie recipes. I think one reportedly is by George Washington's mother. Mm-hmm. And uh, all kinds of fun names, Kinkawoodles. Yeah. Or how about a uh, how about a Tangle Breach? I like that one. That's pretty good. What about Plunkets or Crybabies? Crybaby sounds pretty good. It is, but that's also the name of that little, um, you remember the Sugar Daddy bar? The Sugar Daddy bar. It's like a a very, very chewy, I don't Uh, know what it's supposed to be. Okay, so they cut those into little kind of rabbit poop size pieces, and I think coated them with chocolate and called those Sugar Babies. No, they're not coated in chocolate, which I think is a failing. So that's what I always associate with with crybabies, even though they're called sugar babies. Okay. All Either right. that or that Johnny Depp, John Waters movie of the 90s. Yeah, crybaby. Or the good. 80s. Uh, Jolly Boys, that was another cookie name for that old cookbook. <laughs> yeah. Those are kind of fun. Yeah. Snickerdoodle, not in there. No, and apparently Snickerdoodle has some sort of German derivation, but I'm not sure about that. One thing I found researching cookies, Chuck, is that there's a lot of contradictory information out there. Sure. You just kind of like have to Like we invented choose. this? Yeah. No, exactly. we invented it? Mm-hmm. Well, the sugar cookie, the snickerdoodle is sort of a play on the sugar cookie, uh, as is the, the ice sugar cookie, which is the only kind of sugar cookie I like. Oh, yeah? It's the iced one. You don't like snickerdoodles, huh? 
I, I'd consider that a snickerdoodle. I, I don't. I'm, I'm just talking about a standard sugar cookie. I like a snickerdoodle. Sure. Okay. Yeah, I like, and it's um, a sugar cookie, but I, like I just—I meant like the plain white sugar cookies. Yeah, no, it's almost fan. like you're kind of like well, you didn't finish. There's no frosting on here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know. So yeah, uh, a little, a little. If you're ever just hard up for something like that, just some like regular break and bake sugar cookies and like a tub of vanilla frosting is all you need to just recreate a world of wonder for yourself. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you said the snickerdoodle. And the sugar cookie, I think, came from German uh, immigrants, the Moravians uh, in Pennsylvania, very famous for their stars mm-hmm. as well. Uh, we have a Moravian starlight, which I'm a big fan of. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they were called Nazareth sugar cookies because of Nazareth, Pennsylvania. Yeah, or some people call them Amish sugar cookies. And some people say, well, why wouldn't they just call them Moravian sugar cookies? Because that would be too confusing. So we can also thank our friends, the Amish or the Moravians, the the group who moved to North Carolina for inventing the Moravian spice cookie, which is a very crispy, very thin little cookie um, made with molasses and ginger and cinnamon that you have around the holidays. Yeah, it's close to gingerbread, but crispier and thinner. Yes. And that was an American-made cookie as well. So both the sugar cookie and the Moravian spice cookie were invented by the same sect of German Protestants who arrived in Pennsylvania and North Carolina, respectively. Mind-blowing. Very cool. Uh, We got to talk about the state cookie of New Mexico, the bizcochito. Mm -hmm. Uh, This was brought in by the Spanish colonists, uh, sort of co-developed by the Pueblo people there uh, in, uh, you know, areas like New Mexico, what we now call New Mexico. Yeah. And bizcocho means cakes in Spanish, so bizcochito means little cakes. Yeah, and bizcocho should be like, oh, yeah, it's kind of like biscotto, which it is. It's derived from that as well. Like a biscotti. Yeah, exactly. They're all cognates. I have not had a bizcochito cookie yet in my life. I haven't either. But I plan to. Cinnamon and anise sounds like a very winning combination. Yeah, I looked them up on the internet. They look tasty. They do. They definitely do. But then I propose that it's maybe the most famous cookie of all. Would you agree or disagree? Am I over overstating things? No, I think the chocolate chip cookie is, the at least from our view, the most famous cookie of all time. Okay, so that cookie is one of those few origin stories that you can say definitively. This person did this, and this is when they did it. And no, there's not some other person out there who says that they were the ones who did it, and there's some evidence that they may have done it three years earlier. That's not the case. The chocolate chip cookie was invented by a woman named Ruth Wakefield in Whitman, Massachusetts, possibly in 1930, maybe 1931. Apparently, she didn't remember exactly when she did it. But she Mm. is the person who invented the chocolate chip cookie. And what's awesome about it is she invented it by accident. And where was it? Uh, At the Toll House Inn. The Toll House Inn. Mm -hmm. There you are, everyone. She was baking. She needed uh, baker's chocolate. She didn't have any. Uh, That's that unsweetened chocolate that gives, you know, like fudge and cake a lot of flavor and the color. And she said, I don't have any of that. So I got the semi-sweet chocolate. I'm going to chunk it up real good. And when she put it in there, she found that those chunks did not just melt and become a part of the entire cookie. Mm -hmm. They held their shape. And they came out uh, like little chocolate chips because of that lower cocoa butter content and bing, bang, boom, chocolate chip cookie. Yeah. And she served them anyway. I, I guess she tried one. It was like, this is pretty boss. 
And they became like an instant hit at the Toll House Inn. So it was called the Toll House Cookie. Um, and I guess word spread enough that, I don't know, she approached Nestle or Nestle approached her, but they struck a deal that they could print her recipe for Toll House cookies using semi-sweet chocolate chips on their bags of semi-sweet chocolate chips that her co- mm-hmm. her cookie recipe was now helping to move pretty good in exchange for a lifetime of free chocolate. Bad deal. She said she apparently <laughs> thought it was just fine. So... Yeah, she actually did end up cashing in. She sold her f- fully sold all of her rights to the Toll House cookie, what we call the chocolate chip cookie, to Nestle. I think uh, I don't remember exactly when she did that, but they had it until like 1983, and then lost the rights. Chuck. Yeah, I mean, I think at a certain point it was just like, sorry, this belongs to the world. Yeah, there was. You, a, you can't own this anymore. I saw a 1978 poll that said that more people associated the term Toll House with cookies or chocolate chip cookies in general than they did with Nestle or any of its products. That was not the case for me. I always called chocolate chip cookies a chocolate chip cookie. Did you ever call them Toll House cookies? Nope, Choc- chocolate chip cookies. That was a weird poll, or, or people who were polled in this weird poll were very weird back in 78. <laughs> Agreed. Uh, although I don't remember, maybe we did say that when I was seven. I just, I don't remember it at all. I mean, a TV commercial said it, but that didn't yeah, count. But that was a commercial for the Nestle bag of yeah. chips. They were Toll yeah, House yeah, yeah. chips. That's what I always <laughs> thought of them as. Man, yeah. do you remember the butterscotch chips? I would just eat an entire oh, yeah. bag of those things by myself. It just, just right out of the bag. Yeah. I mean, th- th- peanut butter chips, butterscotch chips, if you throw a little, uh, the plain M&Ms. Mm-hmm. Uh, those those are all good variations, but but your classic chocolate chip cookie is is just a hands down winner. Yeah, and in particular, Sally's Baking Addiction's brown butter chocolate chip cookie. <laughs> uh, America also birthed the peanut butter cookie and the brownie, the oatmeal raisin cookie. Um, I get. Can we skip to brownie real quick and talk about that sure. bit of uh, pedantism? <laughs> yeah, because I'm sure some people are brownies aren't cookies. Well, that's me. I just. Oh, really? It's yeah. It's just it's one of those things where it's just it feels like a pedantic argument to call a brownie a cookie. Technically, it's a pan cookie, but to me, a brownie is a brownie. Okay. And if someone comes up, I think it's the other way around. Is say no, a brownie's a brownie. Is to say no, no. Technically, brownies are cookies. Well, yeah. I mean, if anybody says it to you, just say, "Hey, you want a brownie?" And that just takes care of that. Exactly. Why talk about it? Just eat it. Right. But but the point is this: is a brownie is. <laughs> I, I I'm just not letting this pass by. A brownie <laughs> is a type of cookie. It's a bar cookie in the it's same a bar way cookie, yeah. that a lemon bar is a bar cookie. A Nanaimo um, is a bar cookie. I'm pretty sure I'm saying that right. Um, and it's just a cookie where you, you take the batter and you build it, you, you bake it in a single mass and then cut it into squares rather than baking them individually. But it's still a cookie. Not to me, it's not. That's fine. <laughs> I, that's totally fine. I just, I couldn't not explain it further. But yeah, I, the, the, I don't. The consistency is different to me. The, that, the little flaky top is different. It's just all different. It's okay. Well, let me ask you this, Chuck. Mm-hmm. What about a chocolate chip brownie that is nothing more than a square, slightly thicker chocolate chip cookie? No, do you mean a a, cho- a pan baked chocolate chip cookie? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's not a brownie. That's a that's a pan baked chocolate chip cookie. But it looks exactly like a brownie. It's the same shape, but it has different consistency and doesn't have that flaky top. So, to you, just just the brownie is its own thing. 
Yeah. Okay. What about a lemon bar? It's a lemon bar. Okay. I can I can I I can get with you on both of those actually, but I mean that's just you know again it, it's a this is a pedantic argument that that no one should ever have. Those are my favorite kind. <laughs> you what you should do is just sit down, eat those cookies, eat those brownies, <laughs> eat those eat those bar brownie cookies. Mm-hmm. Throw some ice cream on top, some hot fudge, some whipped cream. Put a lemon bar on there. I'm not a big lemon bar guy. Oh, I like them. But they have to be totally by themselves. You wouldn't mix that with anything. No. I, I'm not a big fan of lemon cookies either. Mm. Uh, like lemony sweets aren't my favorite. I got you. I love them. I yeah. feel like how if you take your likes and my likes and my dislikes and your dislikes and put us together, we form a fully formed whole person, <laughs> yeah. you know? We would like everything. Everything. <laughs> So, Chuck, there's a couple of other kinds of cookies we need to shout out real quick. Um, the cutout cookie where you roll them out and cut them out. That's why they're called that. Like a Christmas sugar cookies are often yeah. cutout cookies. That's those a, are fun. I don't love to eat those as much. Like a, a Christmas-shaped cookie with the sprinkles on top. Mm-hmm. Uh, not my favorite. I'm, a, I'm sort of a dropped cookie Mm-hmm. purist. Yeah, drop cookies are kind of like a chocolate chip cookie where you like scoop them out by the spoonful and drop that yeah. mound on there and they kind of spread and flatten out as they bake, producing a round, flat dessert treat. <laughs> That's right. And by the way, brownies, we know the etymology, or the uh, not etymology, what would it be? Just the origin story? What? Fanny Farmer in 1905 mm-hmm. invented the brownie. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a story that a housewife in Maine Forgot baking powder and their chocolate cake, and it became a brownie. Mm-hmm. And that's in like some cooking encyclopedias. Not true because that was in 1912, and Fanny Farmer's recipe was printed in 1905. Yeah, and Fanny Farmer actually did a lot more than just invent the brownie. She also is credited for inventing the oatmeal raisin cookie, too. Oh, really? Yeah, she's very prolific. See, here's my deal. I, I listened to a Judge John Hodgman the other day, and Jesse Thorne, our friend and uh, bailiff of that show, called raisins a a BS addition to any sweet treat, mm. which I generally agree, but I, I like an oatmeal raisin cookie, and oh, yeah. I'm not the biggest raisin guy. A good one, for sure, but that's pretty much the limit of raisins in, in desserts, unless it's just a fistful of raisins. <laughs> the- Great Clint Eastwood movie. <laughs> That's right. They were really <laughs> scraping the bottom of the barrel. Uh, what about the icebox cookie? So those came along after the invention of the icebox, obviously. But usually you take the dough and you roll it into a log. Yeah. Chill it, and then you cut it into slices, and those slices are baked as cookies. Yeah, if you look at a pinwheel cookie, that that swirly shape mm-hmm. comes because it's rolled up and and chilled. Or the logs of like ready to bake cookie dough you find in like the dairy aisle, that's that's a nice box cookie technically. I disagree cuz that's not oh rolled flat. That's just a big tube. <laughs> so no no no, it's not rolled flat. A, a pinwheel cookie's not rolled flat either. It's rolled into like a a tube, a cylinder, and then you cut the cylinder into slices. No no no, it's rolled flat and then it's rolled. So it's got it's got rings oh, like the rings of the tree. I see what you're saying. I got gotcha, you. I got gotcha. you. Um yeah. Yeah, I think the final product and the fact that it's a tube in the fridge makes it an icebox cookie. All right. That's not just me saying that either. (laughs) Uh, You got your classic sandwich cookie, which uh, everything from an Oreo to a macaron to uh, those great Ritz, peanut butter Ritz chocolate dip things that uh, Emily's grandmother used to make. Those are really good. Uh, Who, by the way, is turning 101 this year. I'm not on Facebook anymore, but... 
Mary's turning 101 in a couple of weeks. Hey, you ditched Facebook, huh? Good for you, Jack. Yeah, I deleted my account. I'm, I was out of there. That is what they call mental health. I didn't miss it at all. No? Did it take any kind of transition period for you? You know, the only thing I missed that was actually genuinely hard was the Movie Crush page and the Movie Crushers page. Uh, Those were awesome, and it was a great community. It is a great community, I hope still. Uh, But that was the hardest part to leave because I really, really enjoyed my interactions there. It was a very kind little corner of the Internet. But uh, having said that, it was all for my well-being. So I had to let that go even. Yeah. So anyway, Mary's 101 soon. Want to let the stuff you should know army that. Uh, I'm glad that came up actually, uh, because she's she's no you know she's not doing the best here at 101, but she's oh. hanging in there. Well, a super duper, hooper happy birthday to you, Mary. 101. That is amazing. Born in 1920. That is really impressive. Uh, but back to sandwich cookies. Uh, you also got your stroopwafel. Yeah. I think I mentioned the macaron. Yeah. Got your Malamars. Got your moon pies. What about Oreos? Yeah, it's classic. Apparently, the whoopie pie is the original sandwich cookie, and that we can thank our Amish friends for as well. Supposedly, the name came from Amish workers on job sites going whoopee when they opened their lunch pail and found a whoopie pie inside. Yeah, I like a whoopie pie. Just the cake, if it has too much cake to Mm -hmm. filling, it becomes a little cumbersome for me. It definitely has to be just right. But researching this, Chuck, it made me wonder if Oreos were meant to be like kind of some sort of manufactured whoopie pie. Maybe. I will say this. The only Oreo worth eating is the double stuff. Do you like the um, the golden kind or the chocolate kind or both? No, nah, I, don't, I don't try the variations. I like the regular. Okay. What about you? I like them pretty much all. There's only been a couple of weird Oreos that I was like, nah, not this one. Okay, because there's all kinds of crazy flavors now, right? Yeah, the birthday cake and the Rice Krispie Treat Oreos were pretty great. The birthday cake thing has infested every area of the sweet realm. Yeah, for good reason, though. I mean, you get some frosting in there. Well, that's pretty much it. That's an excuse to put frosting (laughs) in something that wasn't otherwise there. Oh, I want a cookie so bad. Or in the case of an Oreo, you're putting frosting inside of frosting, and that is... Amazing. <laughs> uh, I got something else here. I know we got a few more little tidbits. Mm-hmm. Uh, cookie dough. Uh, I tried to find out sort of the rise of eating cookie dough mm-hmm. and it becoming a thing. And no one really knows when it started to be a big thing. I mean, they think nostalgia obviously has a big part in it with licking the batter off the, the mixing things. Uh-huh. But they said that this new generation, like Gen Z, has taken it to a new level. Uh, and they... In college towns, cookie dough is triple uh, in sales what it is in a regular town, uh, partially because dorms don't have ovens, but partially because the younger generation just eats this stuff up. Yeah, there's And a, this is all safe to eat now. Uh, right. I know everyone thinks it's eggs, but it's usually the, the flour that cause, uh, causes problems. What? Yeah. It's bacteria in the flour. And so they said salmonella and eggs is really... If you take care of your eggs, it's really not much of a problem. Yeah, most eggs are pasteurized now. Yeah, well, that too. But like, if you if you buy the cookie dough that you're allowed to eat in the grocery store, mm-hmm. like just right out of the thing, mm-hmm. like cookie dough for eating, it has got treated flour. It's uh, it's called heat treated flour. That sounds healthy. Uh, which means, yeah, they just bring the flour up to about 165 degrees Fahrenheit for a little while, and then that like takes care of any bacteria 
And then you can just eat cookie dough like it's going out of style. Crazy. I did not know that. Thank you for that one, man. That's a fact of the podcast right there. And the uh, cookie dough ice cream that started in 1984 uh, by Ben and Jerry's in their Vermont scoop shop. Yeah, that's good stuff. Apparently, it was a, a anonymous suggestion on their suggestion board oh, in really? the shop. Yeah. Man, that was nice. So somebody <laughs> really lost out on some <laughs> big royalties. They left another anonymous suggestion saying, can I have a little bit of money for my idea? <laughs> uh, you got some other good facts here, don't you? Yeah, uh, best-selling cookie in the world. Chuck, what is it? Oh, geez, I don't know. Oreo. Oh, is it Oreo? It is, or at least in 2014, the latest I could find was. Um, okay. <laughs> but I think that bears reminding, I know we've talked about it before, that Oreo is actually the knockoff, that Hydrox was the original, and Oreo came along and knocked off Hydrox and then became the greatest selling cookie in the world. Oh, that's right. I love that story. Uh, I like this bit you have on Famous Amos, too, the very famous, famous Amos cookies. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think I knew this. Wally Amos was an agent, the first African-American agent at the William Morris Agency. Mm-hmm. And he would bake these cookies to give his acts to be like, hey, how about some cookies? You want to stay with me, right? Right. And they were really popular, and he spun it off and founded his own company. Yes. And then I got one more, Chuck. Um, oops, people leave cookies out for Santa, right? Sure. You'd think that'd be pretty old. But actually, apparently, they've traced it back to the Great Depression in America. Uh, Santa cookies? Yeah, that they were teaching kids to show gratitude and appreciation for the the gifts that they were getting. And that was some parents started that, and that was where kids started leaving cookies out for Santa. That's what I saw. I saw it in multiple places. Yeah, at a very unlikely time. That's very nice. Yeah. So that's it for cookies, everybody. I think the only thing left to do is to go eat some cookies. I wouldn't oh, blame man. you. Oh, man, do you know how many people are going to bake cookies tonight? That's great. That was kind this? of the point. I wanted everybody to bake. And I also want to shout out some of our sources, The Nibble, What's Cooking mm. America, and many, many, many others. Yum. Uh, and since I said many, many, many others and Chuck said yum, that means it's time for a listener mail. Well, what it's time for is to talk about Sketchfest. Okay. Because we're returning to the live stage, everybody. And uh, we want to see you. It's a vaccinated-only show. It is a masked show. We're going to do it as safely as possible. And this is on January 21st at the best comedy festival in the land. Yeah, we'll be at the Sydney Goldstein Theater. And you can get tickets at sfsketchfest.com. And it'll be the first time in two years that we will have been on stage. So... Um, it's going to be fun to see for you guys one way or another, whether we bomb or not. That's well, no, we'll be great. It'll be a lot of fun, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. I really miss getting on stage, so it's going to be great. So we'll see you guys January 21st, 2022. And Chuck, speaking of 2022, this is our last regular episode of 2021. So first, I want to wish my dear sweet wife, Yumi, very, very happy birthday today. Um, she actually, I said, hey, which would you rather know more about, contortionists or cookies? And she said cookies. So I dedicated this episode to her. And um, I think we should wish everybody out there a very, very happy new year in the hopes that 2022 is a really, really great year, don't you? That's right. Thanks for all the support, uh, not only this year, but over all the years that allow us to have one of the best jobs in the world. It means everything to us, and y'all mean everything to us. And so... Thanks a lot. I hope you had a great 
or at least a better 2021 than 2020. And maybe things will be even better next year. Yeah. If you want to get in touch with us to tell us how great your New Year's Eve was, you can send it in an email to stuffpodcasts at iheartradio.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey, if you haven't heard of Visible, well, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. Use promo code STUFF. 20 to receive $20 off your first month for listening to this podcast. Switch now at Visible.com. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. Today's episode is brought to you by Altoids because, let's face it, unraveling the mysteries of the universe is tough work. But with Altoids, your breath will be stronger than a black hole's gravitational pull, more intense than an alien abduction, and more reliable than your phone's battery during a podcast marathon. When it comes to needing intense freshness, Altoids have you covered. Altoids are stronger than your favorite conspiracy theory, more intense than the latest true crime docuseries, and more reliable than a Bigfoot sighting. They're not just mints, they're curiously strong mints. Find Altoids in the checkout aisle. Grab your tin today. Ready, set, griddle this grilling season. Get the Weber Slate rust-resistant griddle. With a carbon steel cooktop that's safe for metal tools, it's pre-seasoned and ready to cook on right out of the box. It's the griddle that stays ready, not rusty. This griddle heats evenly edge to edge. It reaches up to 500 degrees, and the Weber Works Prep Cook and Store System keeps cooking supplies handy. You can carry all the food, condiments, and utensils you need. So get fired up for your new Weber Slate rust-resistant griddle. Hey friends, when someone says Amazon, do you think healthcare? Well, maybe you should. Amazon One Medical offers same-day appointments, and if somehow that's still not convenient enough, they have 24-7 virtual care. Not only that, there's also Amazon Pharmacy, so after your virtual care appointment, Amazon will deliver your prescriptions directly to your door. No waiting in line with people who are sick with who knows what. It's a new era of healthcare. Thanks to Amazon Pharmacy and Amazon One Medical, healthcare just got less painful. 